Act One of The Gamester by Edward Moore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Preface It having been objected to this tragedy that its language is prose and its catastrophe too horrible, I shall entreat the reader's patience for a minute that I may say a word or two to these objections. The play of the gamester was intended to be a natural picture of that kind of life of which all men are judges, and as it struck at a vice so universally prevailing, it was thought proper to adapt its language to the capacities and feelings of every part of the audience, that as some of its characters were of no higher rank than sharpers, it was imagined that whatever good company they may find admittance to in the world their speaking blank verse upon the stage would be unnatural if not ridiculous but though the more elevated characters also speak prose the judicious reader will observe that it is a species of prose which differs very little from verse in many of the most animated scenes i can truly say that i often found it a much greater difficulty to avoid than to write measure i shall only add in answer to this objection that i hoped to be more interesting by being more natural and the event as far as i have been a witness of it has more than answered my expectations as to the other objection the horror of its catastrophe if it be considered simply what that catastrophe is and compared with those other tragedies i should humbly presume that the working it up to any uncommon degree of horror is the merit of the play and not its reproach nor should so prevailing and destructive a vice as gaming be attacked upon the theatre without impressing upon the imagination all the horrors that may attend it i shall detain the reader no longer than to inform him that i am indebted for many of the most popular passages in this play to the inimitable performer who in the character of the gamester exceeded every idea i had conceived of it in the writing prologue written and spoken by mr garrick like famed la mancha's knight who lance in hand mounted his steed to free the enchanted land our coyote bard sets forth a monster taming armed at all points to fight that hydra gaming aloft on pegasus he waves his pen and hurls defiance at the caitiff's den the first on fancied giants spent his rage but this has more than windmills to engage he combats passion rooted in the soul whose powers at once delight ye and control whose magic bondage each lost slave enjoys nor wishes freedom though the spell destroys to save our land from this magician's charms and rescue maids and matrons from his arms our knight poetic comes and oh ye fair this black enchanter's wicked arts beware his subtle poison dims the brightest eyes and at his touch each grace and beauty dies love gentleness and joy to rage give way 
and the soft dove becomes a bird of prey. May this our bold adventurer break the spell and drive the demon to his native hell. Ye slaves of passion and ye dupes of chance, wake all your powers from this destructive trance. Shake off the shackles of this tyrant vice, hear other calls than those of cards and dice. Be learned in nobler arts than arts of play, and other debts than those of honor pay. No longer live insensible to shame, lost to your country, families, and fame. Could our romantic muse this work achieve? Would there one honest heart in Britain grieve? The attempt, though wild, would not in vain be made, if every honest hand would lend its aid. Dramatis Personae Men Beverly, read by Todd Lucen, read by T.J. Burns Stukely, read by Thomas Peter Jarvis, read by Alan Mapstone Bates, read by Joseph Tabler Dawson, read by Son of the Exiles Waiter, read by Nemo Women Mrs. Beverly, read by Linda Olsen Fytak Charlotte, read by Eva Davis Lucy, read by Sonia Narrated by Rob Board Scene, London The Gamester, a tragedy Act One, Scene One. Enter Mrs. Beverley and Charlotte. Be comforted, my dear. All may be well yet. And now, methinks, the lodgings begin to look with another face. Oh, sister, sister, if these were all my hardships, if all I had to complain of were no more than quitting my house, servants, equipage, and show, your pity would be weakness. Is poverty nothing, then? Nothing in the world if it affected only me while we had a fortune i was the happiest of the rich and now it is gone give me but a bare subsistence and my husband smiles and i'll be the happiest of the poor to me now these lodgings want nothing but their master why do you look so at me that i may hate my brother don't talk so charlotte has he not undone you oh this pernicious vice of caming but methinks his usual hours of four or five in the morning might have contented him twas misery enough to wake for him till then need he have stayed out all night i shall learn to detest him not for the first fault he never slept from me before slept from you no no his nights have nothing to do with sleep how has this one vice driven him from every virtue nay from his affections too the time was sister and is i have no fear of his affection would i knew that he was safe from ruin and his companions but that's impossible his poor little boy too what must become of him why want shall teach him industry from his father's mistakes he shall learn prudence and from his mother's resignation patience poverty has no such terrors in it as you imagine there's no condition of life sickness and pain excepted where happiness is excluded the needy peasant 
who rises early to his labour, enjoys more welcome rest at night for it. His bread is sweeter to him, his home happier, his family dearer, his enjoyments surer. The sun that rouses him in the morning sets in the evening to release him. All situations have their comforts, if sweet contentment dwell in the heart. But my poor Beverly has none. The thought of having ruined those he loves is misery for ever to him. Would I could ease his mind of that. If he alone were ruined, t'were just he should be punished. He is my brother, tis true, but when I think of what he has done, of the fortune he brought him, of his own large estate, too, squandered away upon this vilest of passions, and among the vilest of wretches, I have no patience. My own little fortune is untouched, he says. Would I were sure on it. And so you may. T'would be a sin to doubt it. I will be sure on it. "'Twas madness of me to give it to his management. "'But I'll demand it from him this morning. "'I have a melancholy occasion for it.' "'What occasion?' "'To support a sister.' "'No, I have no need on it. "'Take it, and reward a lover with it. "'The generous Lucen deserves much more. "'Why won't you make him happy?' "'Because my sister's miserable.' "'You must not think so. "'I have my jewels left yet.' I'll sell them to supply our wants, and when all's gone these hands shall toil for our support. The poor should be industrious. Why those tears, Charlotte? They flow in pity for you. All may be well yet. When he has nothing to lose, I shall fetter him in these arms again, and then what is it to be poor? Cure him but of this destructive passion, and my uncle's death may retrieve all yet. I, Charlotte, could we cure him, but the disease of play admits no cure but poverty, and the loss of another fortune would but increase his shame and his affliction. Will Mr. Lewison call this morning? He said so last night. He gave me hints, too, that he had suspicions of our friend Stukely. Not of treachery to your brother. That he loves play, I know, but surely he is honest. He would fain be thought so, therefore I dabbed him. Honesty needs no pains to set itself off. What now, Lucy? Scene two. Enter Lucy. Your old steward, madam. I had not the heart to deny him admittance. The good old man begged so hard for it. Exit. Scene three. Enter Jarvis. Is this well, Jarvis? I desired you to avoid me. Did you, ma'am? I am an old man and had forgot. Perhaps, too, you forbade my tears. But I am old, ma'am, and age will be forgetful. Mrs. Beverley to Charlotte. The faithful creature, how he moves me. Not to have seen him had been cruelty. I forgot these apartments, too. I remember none such in my young master's house, and yet I have lived in it these five-and-twenty years. His good father would not have dismissed me. He had no reason, Jarvis. I was faithful to him while he lived, 
and when he died he bequeathed me to his son i've been faithful to him too i know it i know it jarvis we both know it i am an old man ma'am and have not a long time to live i asked but to have died with him and he dismissed me prithee no more of this twas his poverty that dismissed you is he indeed so poor then oh he was the joy of my old heart but must his creditors have all and have they sold his house too his father built it when he was but a prating boy the times i've carried him in these arms and jarvis says he when a beggar has asked charity of me why should people be poor you shan't be poor jarvis if i was a king nobody should be poor yet he is poor and then he was so brave oh he was a brave little boy and yet so merciful he'd not have killed a gnat that stung him speak to him charlotte for i cannot when i have wiped my eyes i have a little money ma'am it might have been more but i have loved the poor all that i have is yours no jarvis we have enough yet i thank you though and will deserve your goodness but shall i see my master and will he let me attend him in his distresses i'll be no expense to him and twill kill me to be refused where is he ma'am not at home jarvis you shall see him another time to-morrow or the next day oh jarvis what a change is here a change indeed ma'am my old heart aches at it and yet methinks but here's somebody coming scene four enter lucy with stukely mr stukely madam exit good morning to you ladies mr jarvis your servant to mrs beverley where's my friend madam i should have asked that question of you have you not seen him to-day no madam nor last night last night did not he come home then no were not you together at the beginning of the evening but not since where can he have stayed you call yourself his friend sir why do you encourage him in this madness of gaming you have asked me that question before madam i told you my concern was that i could not save him mr beverley is a man madam and if the most friendly entreaties have no effect upon him i have no other means my purse has been his even to the injury of my fortune if that has been encouragement i deserve censure but i meant it to retrieve him i don't doubt it sir and i thank you but where did you leave him last night at wilson's madam if i ought to tell in company i do not like possibly he may be there still mr jarvis knows the house i believe shall i go ma'am no he may take it ill he may go as from himself and if he pleases madam without naming me i am faulty myself 
should conceal the errors of a friend. But I can refuse nothing here. Bowing to the ladies. I would fain see him, methinks. Do so, then. But take care how you upbraid him. I have never upbraided him. Would I could bring him comfort. Exit. Don't be too much alarmed, madam. All men have their errors and the times of seeing them. Perhaps my friend's time has not come yet. But he has an uncle. Dull men don't live forever. You should look forward, madam. They are taught how to value a second fortune by the loss of a first. A knocking at the door. <gasps> Hark! No, that knocking was much too rude for Mr. Beverley. Pray heaven he be well. Never doubt it, madam. You shall be well too. Everything shall be well. Knocking again. The knocking is a little loud, though. Who waits there? Will none of you answer? None of you, did I say? Alas, I thought myself in my own house, surrounded with servants. I'll go, sister, but don't be alarmed so. Exit. What extraordinary accident have you to fear, madam? I beg your pardon. But is ever thus with me in Mr. Beverley's absence? No one knocks at the door, but I fancy it is a messenger of ill news. You are too fearful, madam. It was but one night of absence. And if ill thoughts intrude, as love is always doubtful, think of your worth and beauty, and drive them from your breast. What thoughts? I have no thoughts that wrong my husband. Such thoughts indeed would wrong him. The world is full of slander, and every wretch that knows himself unjust charges his neighbour with like passions, and by the general frailty hides his own. If you are wise and be happy, turn a deaf ear to such reports. Tis ruin to believe them. Ay, worse than ruin. Twould be to sin against conviction. Why was it mentioned? To guard you against rumour. The sport of half mankind is mischief, and for a single error they make men devils. If their tales reach you, disbelieve them. What tales? By whom? Why told? I have heard nothing. Or if I had, with all his errors, my Beverley's firm faith admits no doubt. It is my safety, my seat of rest and joy, while the storm threatens around me. I'll not forsake it. Stukely sighs and looks down. Why turn you from me, and why that sigh? I was attentive, madam, and sighs would come we know not why. Perhaps I have been too busy. If it should seem so, impute my zeal to friendship that meant to guard you against evil tongues. Your Beverly is wronged, slandered most vilely. My life upon his truth. And mine too. Who is it that doubts it? But no matter. I am prepared, sir. Yet why this caution? You are my husband's friend. I think you mine too. The common friend of both. I had been unconcerned else. For heaven's sake, madam, be so still. I meant to guard you against suspicion, not to alarm it. Nor have you, sir. Who told you of suspicion? I have a heart it cannot reach. Then I am happy. I would say more, but am prevented. Scene 5. Re-enter Charlotte. 
who was it charlotte what a heart has that jarvis a creditor sister but the good old man has taken him away don't distress his wife don't distress his sister i could hear him say tis cruel to distress the afflicted and when he saw me at the door he begged pardon that his friend had knocked so loud i wish i had known of this was it a large demand madam i heard not that but visits such as these we must expect often why so distressed sister this is no new affliction no charlotte but i am faint with watching quite sunk and spiritless will you excuse me sir i'll to my chamber and try to rest a little good thoughts go with you madam exit mrs beverley stukely aside my bait is taken then poor mrs beverley how my heart grieves to see her thus cure her and be a friend then how cure her madam reclaim my brother ay give him a new creation or breathe another soul into him ah think on madam advice i see is thankless useless i am sure it is if through mistaken friendship or other motives you feed his passion with your purse and soothe it by example physicians to cure fevers keep from the patient's thirsty lip the cup that would inflame him you give it to his hands a knocking hark sir these are my brother's desperate symptoms another creditor one not so easily got rid of what lucen scene six enter lucen madam your servant yours sir i was inquiring for you at your lodgings this morning you had business then you'll call it by another name perhaps where is mr beverley madam we have sent to inquire for him is he abroad then he did not used to go out so early no nor to stay out so late is that the case i am sorry for it but mr stukeley perhaps may direct you to him i have already sir but what was your business with me to congratulate you upon your late successes at play poor beverley but you are his friend and there's comfort in having successful friends and what am i to understand by this that beverley's a poor man with a rich friend that's all your words would mean something i suppose another time sir i shall desire an explanation and why not now i am no dealer in long sentences a minute or two will do for me but not for me sir i am slow of apprehension and must have time in privacy the lady's presence engages my attention another morning i may be found at home another morning then i'll wait upon you i shall expect you sir madam your servant exit what mean you by this to hint to him that i know him how know him mere doubt and supposition i shall have proof soon and what then 
would you risk your life to be his punisher my life madam don't be afraid and yet i am happy in your concern for me but let it content you that i know this stukely twould be as easy to make him honest as brave and what do you intend to do nothing till i have proof yet my suspicions are well grounded but methinks madam i am acting here without authority could i have leave to call mr beverley brother his concerns would be my own why will you make my services appear officious you know my reasons and should not press me but i am cold you say and cold i will be while a poor sister's destitute my heart bleeds for her until i see her sorrows moderated love has no joys for me can i be less a friend by being a brother i would not say an unkind thing but the pillar of your house is shaken prop it with another and it shall stand firm again you must comply and will when i have peace within myself but let us change the subject your business here this morning is with my sister misfortunes press too hard upon her yet till to-day she has borne them nobly where is she gone to her chamber her spirits failed her i hear her coming let what has passed with stukely be a secret she has already too much to trouble her scene seven enter mrs beverley good morning sir i heard your voice and as i thought inquiring for me where's mr stukely charlotte this moment gone you have been in tears sister but here's a friend shall comfort you or if i add to your distresses i'll beg your pardon madam the sale of your house and furniture was finished yesterday i know it sir i know too your generous reason for putting me in mind of it but you have obliged me too much already there are trifles madam which you have set a value on those i have purchased and will deliver i have a friend too that esteems you he has bought largely and will call nothing his till he has seen you if a visit to him would not be painful he has begged it may be this morning not painful in the least my pain is from the kindness of my friends why am i obliged beyond the power of return you shall repay us at your own time i have a coach waiting at the door to charlotte shall we have your company madam no my brother may return soon i'll stay and receive him he may want a comforter perhaps but don't upbraid him charlotte we shan't be absent long come sir since i must be so obliged tis i that am obliged an hour or less will be sufficient for us to charlotte we shall find you at home madam exit with mrs beverley certainly i have but little inclination to appear abroad ah oh, this brother this brother to what wretchedness he has reduced us exit scene eight changes to stukeley's lodgings enter stukeley that lucian suspects me tis too plain yet why should he suspect me i appear the friend of beverley as well as he 
but I am rich, it seems, and so I am, thanks to another's folly and my own wisdom. To what use is wisdom but to take advantage of the weak? This Beverly's my fool. I cheat him, and he calls me friend. But more business must be done yet. His wife's jewels are unsold, so is the reversion of his uncle's estate. Oh, I must have these two, and then there's a treasure above all. I love his wife. Before she knew this Beverly, I loved her. Like a cringing fool, bowed at a distance while he stepped in and won her. Never, never will I forgive him for it. My pride, as well as love, is wounded by this conquest. I must have vengeance. Those hints this morning were well thrown in. Already they have fastened on her. If jealousy should weaken her affections, want may corrupt her virtue. My hate rejoices in the hope. These jewels may do much. You shall demand them of her, which, when mine, shall be converted to special purposes. What now, Bates? Scene 9. Enter Bates. Is it a wonder, then, to see me? The forces are in readiness, and only wait for orders. Where's Beverly? The last night's rendezvous, waiting for me. Is Dawson with you? Dressed like a nobleman with money in his pocket, and a set of dice that shall deceive the devil. That fellow has a head to undo a nation. But for the rest, they are such low-mannered, ill-looking dogs. Oh, I wonder Beverly has not suspected them. No matter for manners and looks. Do you supply them with money, and they are gentlemen by profession? The passion of gaming casts such a mist before the eyes that the nobleman shall be surrounded with sharpers and imagine himself in the best company. There's that Williams, too. It was he, I suppose, that called at Beverly's with the note this morning. What directions did you give him? To knock loud and be clamorous. Did not you see him? Nah. The fool sneaked off with Jarvis. Had he appeared within doors as directed, the note had been discharged. I waited there on purpose. I want the women to think well of me. A loosen's grown suspicious. They told me so himself. What answer did you make him? A short one. That I would see him soon for farther explanation. We must take care of him. But what have we to do with Beverly? Dawson and the rest are wondering at you. Why, let them wonder. I have designs above their narrow reach. They see me lend him money, and they stare at me. Ha! They are fools. I want him to believe me, beggared by him. And what then? Ah, there's the question. But no matter. At night you may know more. He waits for me at Wilson's. I tell the women where to find him. To what purpose? To save suspicion. It looked friendly. And they thanked me. Old Jarvis was dispatched to him. And may entreat him home. Now, he expects money from me, but I'll have none. His wife's jewels must go. Women are easy creatures, and refuse nothing where they love. Follow me to Wilson's, but be sure he sees you not. You are a man of character, you know, of prudence and discretion. Wait for me in an outer room. I shall have business for you presently. Come, sir, 
Let judging fools by honesty grow great. The shorter road to riches is deceit. Excellent. End of Act One.